Lego. The podcast project of the Finalist. By Leopold Lambert. Today, State of Exception, Architectures of Quarantine and Containment, with David Garcia. Today I received David Garcia to talk about uh, quarantine. Um, David is a uh, founder of uh, Map Architects um, and uh, also the editor of the of the publication of the same name, Map Manual of Architectural Possibilities. Um, he is also teaching at the Bartlett in uh, London and. Uh, Lund uh, in Sweden. He's based in Copenhagen and he will, he's the future head of the Coming Institute of Architecture and Technology of the Royal Danish Academy. Uh, hello David. Hello. Uh, so we're going to talk about quarantine uh, which is one of the topic of the second issue of MAP. But uh, as you were saying a little bit earlier uh, in the other map, so about Greenland, about Chernobyl, about floods, about Antarctica, about archive, uh, you would be able to also find uh, this, uh, this topic. So I suppose that it is a recurrent theme of yours. Um, in a way, if, you, if we look at quarantine as systems of containment, then uh, in a way one could also look at many other fields through that perspective and um, when I was suggested to do a map on quarantine um, I was kind of very I had a very narrow perception of what quarantine actually was uh, and it was through this, you know the months of research for map that one could see that this permeated the concept permeated many other fields um, which the publication already takes on in a way um, with regards to uh, immigration or forced migration um, policy uh, even planetary issues um, so suddenly the, 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 the tag or the bubble of architecture or space um, viewed as a system of containment has hovered um, uh, around me and it's a, in a way it's a lens that I always flip on uh, and it always reveals uh, some layers of that reality in, in almost anything that I, I do uh, especially in a society like ours so yeah let's talk about containment because uh, I I would definitely be eager to say that it, it is almost a the in the essence of architecture to to have this function of containment and obviously we find uh, we invented some little devices that we call doors that we call windows to to create a porosity within this uh, with, within this containment but w w one of the reasons that I'm interested in quarantine is that all of a sudden is that if the if if the quarantine is declared your own house that you thought was like protecting you from the outside is is basically imprisoning you all in a sudden so um there there is a and nothing changed physically right like uh, things things are just at their at the legal level uh architecture was containing itself the possibilities that this could happen and therefore you becoming trapped uh Within within your own house, but I suppose it's it is a rather political uh, approach to the question when uh, your your map has a maybe broader approach to it, which obviously uh, 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 approach it through like their uh, all the diseases that uh, can possibly trigger uh, trigger the state of quarantine. So. Um, we will we will have their their uh, a few of the maps on their on their on the website obviously so that people can know can see what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But can you can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Um, well, in a way, we 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 went to a very classic approach um, 
with the publication and we started to look at its original implications which were directly disease related and how especially when the world started to uh, um, be a, sm a smaller place through navigation in 1500 that started to be a, a, a much wider issue new diseases suddenly arrived more and more often so the um, lazaretos and, and the concept of quarantine from the isolation of 40 days sometimes it was 20 sometimes it was 40 so all this uh, it, may, it may be actually interesting to to, to, to tell, tell the non-latin uh, the yeah. non-latin uh, speakers that quarantine comes from from, from 40, from 40 yeah, exactly. which would be the amount of days to stay isolated right yeah i mean the the, the problem was very much it was very parallel to today's airports um which is one of the greatest challenges. If we look at um, disease and the spread of serious diseases throughout the globe today, um, the same type of paranoia permeated the urban context of the 1500s, 1600s. And uh, at the very beginning, the boats were literally left at bay for 30 days and then 40 days another later on. Um, because it was a cycle of, of fevers. Uh, if you survived 40 days with a fever, it probably wasn't very serious, uh, or you would die, and then that ship would still be its own isolation. So the idea of the architectural element that one composes and that what you can become trapped of or by uh, was already a, a reality uh, in the representation of a ship. So the ship which allowed you to navigate and communicate and spread was uh, also an island, and that was kept at bay. Later on, when there were too many ships, they thought, well, this is a bit of a problem. Uh, we need cargoes to come in and, 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 and so forth. So they created normally artificial islands or uh, derelict uh, structures. Venice still has their old lazaretos, which you can visit. Later on, have been used as other um, functions. But... In essence, there were islands fortified where uh, the individuals would then be removed from the boat if there was the suspicion of any disease and they would stay there. And, or, or if there was a disease, then th that ship could also be emptied and placed in a lazarette. Um, so these, suddenly these structures, and Ellis Island actually is, is, a, is a direct implication and translation of that many hundreds of years after. It wasn't only a way of surveying, controlling, and charting individuals, it was also a way of screening and people were often isolated if there was a suspicion of, of any disease. And the same happens today with the airport. The airport has exactly the same characteristics. And uh, even, I would say, it's, uh, it has characteristics of pre-Lazaretto. Because today the airplane can easily become your contained sphere. Uh, when we experience being sprayed upon, when we perhaps go to South America, when we experience uh, an hour pause when we land in China if there's a SARS scare and every single individual is laser scanned to measure their temperatures. If someone has a fever, that plane is locked until a controlled mobile system can literally take every single individual in that plane to another isolated zone for 30 or 40 days. So the, 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 that, that story has not changed. In the, in the individual level, and um, the fear of, of contamination reaches such heights uh, in the research platforms. For example, the CDC has a very strict protocol of what to go and what, uh, and what to do with an individual that through the research uh, is feared to have come in contact with a deadly virus. And there's immediate shutdown, isolation, no contact, and new air literally deposed of any single artifact, uh, brush, uh, necktie mainly for fear of taking your own life because you might be scared of having Ebola but most of the people have actually tried to commit suicide even though they weren't uh, contaminated by any disease just by the fact that they had to be isolated on their own for 40 days or so so there's also this extrapolation of the individual in isolation and the risk that he one or power thinks imposes or might have on a society, but also the risk that you actually have upon yourself just by the fact that you're isolated as an individual. Psychologically, that, that is a burden.
And you, you actually design so uh, to explain a little bit ma the map publication is you you have one one face that is uh, one side of the of the map that is very factual, very objective, very uh, analytical. But you have another side of the map that is um, uh, displaying a few projects that you've been working on with your office. And uh, the sound we can hear is you <laughs> turning turning the map uh, on the other way. And one of the projects you've been designing for this map quarantine is, um, I suppose, extremely related to what you just described, which is this um, uh, little mobile uh, bubble that uh, one person that is uh, in the state of quarantine can continue to live his social life while mm. still being uh, within a, a protected, uh, uh, well, while being in a bubble that protects uh, other people from their sus suspected disease that yes. this person might have, right? It's true, yeah. Uh, we called it the domestic isolation unit, and that was um, a comment uh, on, on precisely that uh, phenomena, that if someone at home in a domestic situation comes or starts to show symptoms of some serious or pseudo-serious disease, normally what happens is that the individual is removed to a controlled uh, unit, normally part of a hospital. And that has a, a huge impact, and, uh, and it's described by many uh, physicians that the state of the individual uh, becomes sometimes dangerous, even though it has later shows that they have no disease, just by the psychological effect of not being able to see their family, uh, almost, uh, at, you know, luckily if they can get to speak to them. So, so our, our comment was, how can that still be contained but take part in a domestic situation? So this unit is a unit that one would could have at home, and it's plugged in. And you actually immediately inhabit it, and it kind of develops and grows. And there's a series of vignettes of plants as well in in, in the publication that show different days of isolation so you can spend a couple of days in your bed uh, we've all done that we can more or less survive uh, but if you have to sp spend more days you, you would like your territory to expand uh, you would like um, in this case he's able to the bubble to go out of the window and actually look out uh, almost sit out of the window and, and, and perceive the environment beyond the uh, the residence uh, and uh, at, at an extreme situation, this allows him to go to, all the way to the kitchen, play chess with his kids or whatever, sit and watch TV with her, his or her partner. So there was a, the idea of domesticity being an intricate part of the, uh, of the proposal with a very thin layer of separation, this, this thin, transparent latex bubble. But... We added a comment to that. Um, there, there's there's um, extended rubber hands and arms that you can kind of get very close to another individual mm -hmm. with. So hug, play. Uh, a little bit what caress. you see in laboratory, right? Like uh, yes, you, yeah. The same. It's the same things that you have in a, in a contained unit. Sometimes for neo. Uh, born until uh, you can actually reach in. In this case, this is from in to out. Uh, also zippers with double double chambers so you can sterilize food or literally deliver the, the, local, the, the domestic mm -hmm. food to the person who's sick. But I think more interesting for us was the addition of uh, um, I don't give a damn zipper, mm. which is that... Um, at the end of the day, the family might think, this is silly, I don't care. Um, if it's not deadly, I'd rather just get sick with you and we'll just go through it together, even though it's horrible, than having you separated from the family. So th we thought that this, or we know that this is actually an option that is desired by many individuals on both ends of the spectrum. The uh, isolated and non-isolated individual both think, this is ridiculous, I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah, it's a bit painful, yeah, it's going to last long, but... I, I don't feel I'm alive. So this zipper is literally uh, only accessible from the outside and the inside. So the two individuals have to pull the zipper at the same time and mm -hmm. in a cord uh, decide to, to break 
um, that local quarantine. I could say. I see. Well, that, I guess that's a that's a very interesting aspect of this project because there, I suppose, what quarantine is a par- paradigm of is a, a society which, uh, at least supposedly, acts for your own good without asking for your permission for it. Exactly. And we, we we can talk about Michel Foucault a little bit later, but but it's it's interesting to see that you, at some point you, you include the option of uh, of having at least the freedom to say no, I don't want the society to take care of me. Even uh, yeah. I, I need I need to be to agree with it. Yeah, I mean obviously uh, the comment would uh, I mean the consequences would be very interesting, right? Uh, if this was a product, it would probably, you know, could not exist as such, that, that zipper. But I think when, when you speculate, I think that's when you can bring in these comments as very, as physical uh, manifestations that, that have a reason, that, that have a desire, would, and circumnavigate, obviously, the, roots, the rules of, uh, uh, of manufacture, but also probably the... Uh, Medical code, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think uh, there, there's a there's a long history of of, um, of of kind of sacrifice in both directions. The uh, the individuals around someone who's sick who say doesn't I don't care you need help so I help you even though I might get sick. There's there's a huge uh, literature and and history of that. Uh, but there's also the the self isolation. Uh, um, there's during the Black Plague. Uh, there's a description of this small village in Ireland, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, where the, if the village realized that someone had come down with the plague. So they built the wall around their own village uh, and very clearly stipulated that do not come here. There is the plague and, uh, and you, you know, we want to just isolate ourselves to see what happens. And uh, food was taken from other villages and left at the perimeter. Uh, and uh, But this was a self-inflicted decision, mm-hmm. um, which probably was a more rational decision in the way that they manufactured their containment than the decisions taken by power structures when they were forcing of how to act with regards to a spread of a plague mm-hmm. in a village. So. I think for me that was a very interesting, we're talking about medieval times, but sometimes a group can rationalize a problem and and, and react perhaps in a much more uh, balanced manner mm-hmm. and perhaps even much more efficient manner than when all the problems that one might encounter are engulfed by one single protocol. So... The fact that you know, if all of Manhattan was in a very serious epidemic, probably the bridges would be cut down, and it would become an isolated, uh, isolated island uh, by decree. Probably, uh, I don't know. That that's a scenario that w- that could happen. Um, whereas the difference of maybe a whole building, if the individuals find this out, that they might actually create other forms of containment which are less. I would say drastic, but maybe even more efficient. Mm-hmm. So th- what I'm trying to argue for is that sometimes self-control instead of top-down control, because it's very specific to the context, can be much more efficient than the draping of one single gesture from a top-down structure. Mm-hmm. I've, and I suppose that it's uh, uh, beyond quarantine that something that's valid also for designing architecture in general that... Uh, uh, because uh, and and in addition of that, it's it's uh, as I was saying a little bit earlier. It's interesting to see that architecture and the cities that we live in seems to have uh, a, an already a, a ready embodiment of such a crisis condition. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about Manhattan, which obviously is an island, so yeah. that that definitely helps. But uh, but any. Any architecture has already have the protocols that you were evoking of of being able to be sealed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and some architectures more than others. I mean, if you visit uh, uh, new 
housing complexes in, in Tel Aviv, they all have a core, which is a bomb-proof core that everybody can run into. So you have an elevator shaft core, but there's also cores that run through all the flats, which are normally in the order of a meter and a half by a meter and a half, and they already house gas masks and ready to survive, if one could call it that, uh, an X mm-hmm. type of chemical threat or, or other type of threat. So you are, we also, and I think that we can find many examples of that category in, in a wide spectrum of, 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 uh, uh, of versions, but we are designing systems of containment in our contemporary cities and housing units which are related to uh, present or local mm-hmm. threats. One very interesting addition to the public space is how we are conditioning and defining the public space with regards to eventual attacks. Mm-hmm. And it's changing the landscape uh, radically. Um, um, and the very first knee-jerk reaction was concrete blocks in front of many institutions. Now they're trying to um, uh, design these concrete blocks so they seem something which is part of the landscape, but, <laughs> but the presence and the robustness is mm-hmm. still so violent that... Uh, that it's hard to hide the intention. That's some type. That's a, that's a type of of containment. Uh, you know, you're trying to contain heavy machinery of running into uh, an institution's facade. Uh, as latest today, I visited the new uh, kind of containments that they're building in front of the UN, mm-hmm. and they're masked, they're covered, and you see how this cylinder of, of steel. Is connected to a branch, underground branch, which obviously is going to be submerged underground to be able to contain pressures, and and it's it's, it's huge, it's very aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, and how, I mean, how can you landscape yourself out of that? Yeah, I I, I think it's part of like when 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 the the UN's uh, oh, I'm sorry, the UN the the US is building a new embassy. There is a requirement for the architects and engineers to. Uh, resist to a very specific uh, dose of explosive. Yeah, <laughs> so it's interesting. Absolutely. But I, su- I, su- I suppose what I was uh, getting at was not as much the literal protection of of some things that comes from the outside, whether it is viruses or or bombs or any form of uh, direct antagonist uh, entity, let's say. But more in general, it's like there is there is a and it's not a new thing, but there is there is um, something latent in the in the construction of architecture, which is that there is there is this um, uh, suspicion, I would say, towards the outside, towards the otherness, and that that makes us build our buildings the way we build them, and 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 that that seems to embody already um, this this actual literal. Mm. Uh, uh, situation where yes. where they would be indeed like a, a very uh, material uh, antagonist uh, mm-hmm. uh, all around. So it's it makes it easier because yeah. especially in the West, I think any construction is about isolation, mm-hmm. a, a housing unit, and a, and a crystallization of private property, of private property, and, and, yeah. uh, it's and a distancing. I mean, and in other cultures, that that is much more blurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear, you can almost go in. Um, I remember in the in, in the uh, tiny islands of Taiyo outside of Hong Kong, there's mm-hmm. a fishing village, and that fishing village, due to the tide, has built most of their housing units on stills, mm-hmm. and they were very tiny, so they've had to grow. So these the, these stills hold piers, which are the small streets, and they've put units along these streets. But very often they had so not enough space, so they started to build on the other side of this pier. This pier is about two meters wide. And there is no wall, there's no blur. So you were walking, you're, you're walking through this path and you're walking through the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So there's you know a gentleman sleeping uh, next to you and the kitchen with the TV is open. And so this, they, they are, they've appropriated those extra square meters, which is a public street. Mm-hmm. We would understand it clearly as a public street because people are literally walking up and down. But they, they, they have no problem in that open mm-hmm. facade on that privacy where obvi- I think the West obviously is characterized with a, with a isolation and containment uh, which is 
sometimes due to climate or excused as climatic efficiency but it i think it uh, it is an underlying desire of isolation you would mm-hmm. rather not hear absolutely anybody around you that's a kind of like a generalized desire uh, and it's no good smells to, it's good to record podcast but if <laughs> yes <laughs> <Indeed>. exactly <laughs> and uh, yeah so I, i think you're absolutely right there is there's a, it is a, a prescription of any almost housing unit if, and you and you can extend that probably to many other typologies of isolation that here you are in another space that tries to put almost every other space outside and perhaps the only one that sometimes we like to break is the visual right? because ma- mainly because we would like to see out not so much because we would like people to see in mm. um, well talking about the west and uh, staying with this uh, notion of quarantine Um, maybe one of the most illustrative examples that you already evoked is uh, is Ellis Island, and um, uh, I'm, I would like to maybe draw the attention to the to the way the unwanted bodies were being designated there, which was with this uh, little piece of chalk, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, there is no more there is no more individuals. There is only bodies that are being scanned uh, uh, with obviously their, the, this era uh, means to scan people which is not the same nowadays but the principles are the same and there is a designation that is extremely uh, physical and, and, and recognizable through this uh, letter of chalk, uh, in chalk on the back of people that would then uh, bring them to whichever department they had to go to to deal with what what it was that made them unwanted on their on the American territory. Um, uh, there there is this uh, there is a clear uh, material designation. I think that's what I'm I'm getting at. Yeah. I think at those levels, one is absolutely not treated as a as a human. You're treated as an artifact, mm-hmm. um, uh, as an import. So you're approved or not approved, or can, has a you have a category, mm-hmm. and uh, and that 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 is something that we experience at many other levels uh, in the world, of course, today, where for or under the name of efficiency. And uh, if you can add to that under the name of safety or global safety, then you know you, you can get away with much more. Um, and the individual obviously loses um, that character and becomes an object that can be accepted or or not accepted. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that uh, the elements of containment also go through these categories. Uh, but sometimes they're rescued through time and become even more humanized than the humans which were inhabiting and it were at their own time. So if we look at what Ellis Island has become today, uh, it is almost the expression of this collective. It, it's trying to humanize as much as possible to kind of make you understand how dehumanizing it actually was. Mm-hmm. So suddenly there's nobody, there's only tourists. Mm-hmm. But the, the decor... The narrative is about the single individual, how they looked and how they were treated, and it's it, in a way it impregnates uh, a space w- with humanness, which at the time actually, when it was full with humans, <laughs> every single human wasn't. It was designated almost as an object. So there's a strange parody of of the uh, how the buildings have survived and now have this pseudo. Has survived thanks to the to the accepted bodies, exactly, <laughs> not yeah, not yeah. by the non accepted. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, because this de- this designation is is um, the very once again literal ostracization uh, 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 of of more, something we could see a little bit a bit less literally through the the idea that there is a norm. And each individual is being judged uh, through this behavioral or this uh, appearance norm, 
uh, and obviously in the case of uh, of Ellis Island it, it becomes incredibly literal like mm-hmm. there is there is literally people that are in and people that are out mm-hmm. um, and let's let's recall one let's recall that like quarantine is not um, is involving people who are uh, suspected to have maybe a disease not necessarily people who actually have a disease so there is there is an incredible process of uh of uh again ostracization that that is uh that is uh, in working here and there's other levels which are actually uh, have different containment parameters which are not physical structures but just frontiers and sometimes within their own country so internally displaced people idps which are called are very curious kind of uh, reality, I would say, where individuals uh, are pushed out of their own country due to a persecution. Maybe you can give us an example. Well, um, I suppose we can we can look at Africa as many, um, you know, in Angola has has uh, experienced that. Um, Niger has internally displaced about 6,000 people and what, they, what happens is that they're persecuted but to difference to many of the, of, the, uh, of the realities where they can flee and seek refuge in another nation uh, they're not allowed to flee and there are no neighbor nations that would actually take them on board so they become an unwanted island within a body so it's almost it's almost a disease that uh, you can expel. That's how it's seen by the power structure. Um, the problem is that nobody takes responsibility. So if a neighbor takes a refugee on board, they also take the responsibility of caring for that individual. But because they are not allowed to leave and the government is persecuting, persecuting them, they actually have no uh, no, no kind of uh, aid. Uh, or, or structure to, to support them, and th- these are very interesting kind of contexts. It's 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 the bubble that you, you you water. You know, you start to think how small is it going to get. What often happens is that the persecution ends up as an extermination. But very often they can't even they, they won't exterminate them. They just don't want them in any urban context. So they end up out in in, in a more or less natural landscape uh, to try and and serve of their own. But there's, there's also other spectrums which are very interesting about uh, uh, isolation or quarantine. They can also be uh, demystified and glorified and, uh, uh, and almost treated as, as, a, as, a, as a glorious event. So when the Apollo astronauts came down back to Earth, uh, the, they, they were in masks from the minute they left their capsule, which was in the sea. They went into hazmat suits. They left their capsule in the sea and they were rescued by helicopters and they were wearing hazmat suits. So the ritual of the astronaut coming down from the helicopter into the uh, aircraft carrier and greeting the captains, um, which we had uh, pre-Apollo missions, all the space, all the missions that went into orbit, that suddenly disappears and it's never in cameras. So there's a gap in, in the narrative because these individuals were only seen when they came down uh, to Johnson Space Center, uh, and they were in a in a in an airstream trailer uh, until they came down to a larger facility, and that's where they were kind of greeted by Nixon and so forth. But this was all uh, ceremonious, you know. Th- it was the same idea of containment, the same idea of quarantine. Let's see if these guys drop dead from the moon or not. But it was all this all these layers of stigmatization were peeled off. By ritualization of the hero coming back from Earth, uh, and and uh, you know, coming back to Earth, exactly coming back to Earth. Um, so th- I think I think for me that was a very curious. I think probably it was probably the first time in history. I'm not sure about this. It's probably the first time in history where uh, a, a ritual of quarantine was seen globally, accepted globally. And the only ones complaining were actually the astronauts themselves, but they weren't really allowed to complain because they were they had the world's microphones in their in their noses, uh, and and the and and the action was kind of peeled off. 
and it, there was only the, the, the shell of the, of, the, of the place without the, the stigma of quarantine. And I, I, haven't, I haven't worked out what it actually implied later on, but I think it, it's a very curious event, a very exceptional event. Um, I'm afraid there won't be much of transition here, but as I said a little bit earlier, um, it'd be it'd be uh, a shame not to talk about Michel Foucault when we talk about uh, quarantine, because um, in his uh, in his uh, seminar uh, at the Collège de France, uh, that's called uh, the Abnormal from uh, 1974, uh, he's been describing. A city that is under quarantine because there's a plague, there's suspicion of plague cases in this city, and not only his uh, his um, description is extremely interesting in terms of uh, his for historical value, but obviously because it's Foucault, it's uh, it's it won't stop at the simple history, already complex, but. Uh, description historical description but it it's 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 telling us something about the mechanisms of powers that are at work in this uh, in this particular event so Foucault describes um, on on the on the absolute opposite of the of uh, another uh, very large disease uh, that was uh, more, more uh, presented during the medieval era which was leprosy for which as soon as you got it, you were declared as dead, dead uh, socially speaking, and you were expelled from the city. So um, here, here it's uh, it's actually a little bit more complex, and it can relate to what Foucault later uh, has been calling biopolitics, uh, politics that is that is uh, taking his subject and making each individual subject through uh, his or her very life and the organ the administration of this of this life. So anyway, I'm getting a little bit long here, but the description of Foucault is uh, based on uh, something called quadrillage in French. That's uh, pretty hard to translate, uh, but uh, a sort of administrative, uh, so virtually administrative and uh, physically in terms of uh, poli policing and um, uh, examination of every single part of the city with every single inhabitants uh, being um, in their house for a given for a given time and every day somebody coming by and asking to see every single person of the family to see if there is uh, any any case of, of, of the plague and uh, so Foucault, uh, Foucault describes that at length obviously uh, but but he's also saying that this mode of uh, sovereignty that um, that is uh, being expressed through the state of quarantine is very much uh, the power of administration of life, uh, and and there and um, uh, there is no more there is no more uh, bodies being expelled from the city. The, the bodies are being kept very much so within the city, and being and their life are being administrated by a, uh, a transcendental entity somehow. Um, I'm talking too much, but David, maybe you have something to say uh, to, uh, that maybe it resonates for you in some ways. Um, well, there's, there's the obvious um, power structure that was um, more or less argument uh, and establishes a series of, of protocols to try and, 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 uh, and protect the society. Um, and... It's interesting um, to find out uh, how others, or to actually look closer to how other societies have self-regulated these instances. Um, and there's a, there's mechanisms, for example, in Greenland in, in their traditional culture until not so many years ago, where individuals in these very small villages would self decide, you know, in an autonomous way, well, I think my family is one family too many, uh, and uh, uh, you know, there is a potential of, of incest and, uh, and, 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 and some uh, in, inbred diseases that could cause that micro-society to collapse. 
so it meant that um, they would migrate and, and take the risk of finding another site far away that could allow for library and, and, and fishing. But this was a system of, um, of, of being able to survive, in a way, um, within a very small enclave. And it, you know, it, it is described not as the elderly saying, you, you're going to have to leave. It was, it was kind of, nobody was forced to, it was, it's, it was kind of obvious, apparently. Someone suddenly clicked to say, okay, my, I'm just going to start a family. I think, I think it's us. I think we're, we're going to go on. Um, whether that was obviously true or not, it's hard to know. But there wasn't any, uh, uh, the, the evidence of, of a very direct imposition. Um, the results, that also resulted in, in the lack of stigmatize, stigmatization of, uh, of adopting uh, children, uh, something that still happens today and there's no stigma. They, you know, many of the politicians are from adopted families because if you had too many children your neighbor would say you know we can take care of of one of yours because you don't have enough resources so these ideas of self-regulation uh, in some societies are very interesting and they permeate on the control uh, on the containment but also on the release of control and containment in uh, in areas as the infant and uh, and and literally your definition of a family through the infants. Uh, and I think that those are very interesting to compare because obviously in the West we have uh, we have difficulty in, in, in accepting or maybe you can call it self-sacrifice or self-regulation, I, I, I don't know. But um, I think that there are reflections in societies of, uh, of uh, power structures that are not imposing. I think perhaps... It, it feeds the seriousness of, of the lack of some of these actions feeds into the society the way that uh, that they that they grow up and the values that they are, that they acquire, which brings me, to, brings me to something very interesting. You know, when is this ever taught in any school system or process, educational process? The idea of containment, the idea of isolation, the idea of how your you as an individual is, is treated and, and recognized in your society. I think this is something that comes very, very late. Uh, and, uh, and you can see how children have a very different way of, of, of relating as well to, to those power structures when suddenly they, 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 fall, they fall upon you or the family. Or, and uh, I think some societies are much much stronger in, in kind of channeling and visualizing that power than others are. Uh, if I if I hear you correctly, um, it's family as a form of social structure would mm. be a form of containment as well. Well, I think you you there is a containment. There is a, there is a there is a protection instinct that uh, that defines some dist distancing. So there's a. There's a very specific type of, uh, of bubble that extends to your children, and that you are becoming the reflection of what the, uh, the, the the social structure is with you in a very silent and maybe unconscious way. Uh, so there is a constant control of the child's movements. Uh, don't touch this. Don't touch that person. Right. Um, so there's, a, there's already an education of containment, uh, which is most of the time for the best. You don't want your children to get sick. But that fear overtakes sometimes the liberty of that individual. And I think in the nuclear definition of a family, it often is a very direct reflection of how we are treated by other power structures. And it just literally, literally seeps through. Being the fact that... Uh, uh, safety is just one of these um, parameters that can break down almost any rationale. Uh, if you say that is not safe, it, come, it becomes only paramount and everything else is put into question at best. Uh, at worst, it's literally put at the end of the line. And, and uh, we experience it as a society, but I think you experience it uh, in, in the nucleus of, uh, of the domestic enclave as well. So one of the other 
map publication uh, was based on a on a trip you did in uh, Chernobyl, and um, and you in a few weeks you will also go to Fukushima, which um, which which is uh, which constitutes for both of them are another another type of uh, of uh, quarantine landscape. Um, can you maybe tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I think what's What's interesting is that it is a quarantine landscape. It's not the individual that becomes quarantined because radiation is per se not something which is contagious. But the landscape, uh, the dust and, and the layer of earth that it's been irradiated, that becomes uh, suddenly quarantined. Uh, uh, a landscape becomes trapped on its own frontier, which is interesting. Um, individuals normally are removed, although there are families that have decided to stay uh, and inhabit within that landscape, maybe bringing us back to the first example that we talked about, how the individual decides to meet its landscape, be with its family, in this case the family being the landscape and not being, um, uh, literally deciding, I don't care if I die, this is my place. So the comment that I started this uh, discussion with of a family member reuniting themselves with disease or with someone they love and engaging in the disease also can happen in how you want perhaps desire to engage with your landscape and I think that's very interesting but when you quarantine a landscape the results are also curious and the largest natural reserve in Europe is actually the exclusion zone in Chernobyl and it's the only place which has wild horses in all of Europe. So because humans have been kept away, suddenly nature has been allowed to thrive, kind of taking the idea of disease into another perspective and kind of throwing it back into us. You know, how, how are we engaging with a natural landscape? Is there a similarity to a disease when that landscape is isolated from us and suddenly it thrives. I think that's that's a, that's an interesting discourse as well. Um, there are other elements which become uh, quarantined or isolated. I mean, those spaces, because there is no presence of humans, almost uh, become also time bubbles, almost time capsules on their own. Uh, and, uh, and the lack of presence of individuals make it even more eerie when suddenly the invisible danger of radiation is revealed through an interface, a Geiger counter. Uh, so a uh, situation normal, literally we have a snafu context, right? Everything looks okay, uh, but it's actually in, in very bad shape. Um, but there are breakers, uh, and I think this brings to, to how a landscape can be inoculated or pseudo-inoculated. In one of the projects, we could see that that territory is used by migratory birds, and they eat the seeds, which are irradiated, and lots of these birds die, or one of the immediate effects is that their brains actually shrink in size, and that means impediments in, in many levels, which researchers are looking into. But we've curiously found, by, by talking to researchers, uh, that flax quite common plant when planted on irradiated soil their seeds are not irradiated so suddenly you have you can introduce this element that can survive and thrive and its fruit taken by the birds uh, does not carry radiation and it's not an inoculation but you're creating an oasis within the containment um, which which plays again on what we've been talking about how elements within a context can be of pockets of islands you know, within your body, within a landscape, within a society, pockets of disease within the non-disease or pockets of health within the disease. And that flip back and forth, it's literally the history of containment and quarantine. You've always had the ship becoming an island, becoming a quarantine, becoming the opposite, which is free movement. So it becomes quite blur often mm -hmm. how these pockets are almost like uh, Klein bottles. Uh, and I suppose so far we've been talking about it in a very uh, an anthropocentric way, but um, the, the very fact that uh, Chernobyl has this uh, 
uh, richness of uh, of uh, of uh, plants and uh, animals and as uh, uh, if uh, it may be linked to the fact that like w we are thinking of it as uh, within within a certain uh, almost moralistic I would like to say uh, point of view because ob obviously because as human as the humans uh, that we are uh, are uh, endangered by by whether we're talking about viruses or or, or radiations um but that's not that's not a universal truth obviously for some for some plants it's actually it's it may be a it may be a beneficial uh, thing so it it's 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 interesting maybe to think of it as well as a for um in a bit less of an anthropocentric uh, sustainability, maybe, and and stop stop wondering what uh, the Earth wants, but maybe more like how does that how is that all working together, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, when you isolate, I think what's interesting about the the exclusion zone is that the individual uh, is removed. Mm -hmm. The uh, anthropocentric perspective is still there but you're not participating uh, and uh, you're kind of have this t strange test tube where nature is trying to deal with our own disaster um, but, but the, what's interesting is that we have treated the context and the landscape as we would treat a person it, it's exactly the same way we still have 3,000 scientists that go into that landscape and try to understand it. But that understanding is also a desire to salvage it and to cure it. Mm -hmm. um, we have one of the world's largest engineering projects being built right now to cover the reactor, mainly because that reactor is so unstable that if it gets a lot of water, another explosion mm -hmm. could happen. So the core of Chernobyl is still heavily unstable. There's about a ton of uranium. Uh, so suddenly, it's, it's, it's the inoculation, uh, right? We still intercede, uh, but for our own good, not for, um, for the landscape uh, or not for the species that live in the landscape. So the, the perspective is still very positivistic. It's still a very uh, analytical uh, and positivistic take on, on science and our presence on, on, on a context, uh, which makes you think, you know, well, there are other alternatives to that well david thank you very much uh i invite everybody to consult your map as well as uh, your own studio projects and your student projects that are uh, uh, extremely unique and um, uh, that was for today thank you thank you